Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Today with Jeremy Van Vaik in for Kino Cummies on Cape Talk. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be in your company and thank you for allowing me into your space. Joining me now is uh, Chris. Uh, good morning, Chris. How are you? Morning. I'm good and I'm in fine form. And hopefully coronavirus free fine. as well. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully. How would you know you are? Well, the symptoms vary, but they usually are in 88% of cases or more. A fever of abrupt onset and a cough. Although we don't know because it may well be that there are some people who catch this and they don't know that they've got it because their symptoms are very trivial. So at the moment we're using as the case definition an abrupt onset of a high fever and a new cough that's a persistent dry cough. It's not just a tickle you get here and there. It's a cough that keeps on bothering you. If you've got those features we're regarding you at the moment at least in countries that have got a lot of spread of this coronavirus as probably having it. Question coming in this morning. The question is, why is it so easy for people to panic in a time of crisis when cool heads are needed? Mm. This seems to be a feature of human behaviour, though, doesn't it? If you look at any kind of crisis, people always end up running around like headless chickens. And I think part of it is that there's a view of self-preservation. I need to look after me. And then there's worry about loved ones. I need to look after them, too. And then there's the Well, what is everyone else doing? Are they running around like a headless chicken? Yes, oh, well, I better copy them. And before you know it, because you have this sort of virological FOMO going on, you think, well, if I don't rush to the shops and buy everything in sight, someone else will, and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. We've seen, you know, shelves emptied both in the UK, in Australia, other countries, in supermarkets. My friend at the ABC, the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, sent me yesterday a picture of the shelves of one of the supermarkets just next door to the ABC and it's completely empty and I then I wrote uh, back and said um, and what about the well knowing what Aussies are like what what about the beer aisle and he said alcohol went first so people had their priorities right in Australia they still they still stockpiled but they stockpiled the booze first <laughs> let's go to some of our callers here in Cape Town Chris um, Abdul Kader good morning how are you I'd like to ask the, the naked scientists, why is nobody talking about stopping the people of South Africa from smoking cigarettes, smoking dacha, or the vapes and all those things? Because this COVID virus is a virus that affects the lungs. No one, not one medical officer comes on and says, please, people, stop smoking. It's not about the booze so much. That's very bad, too. But please, 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 people, stop smoking. No one says anything about it. Yep, it's a very good point, uh, and I I can't make a better one. And health authorities all over the world acknowledge that smoking is the leading cause of death worldwide. It causes directly causes lung cancers and a host of other cancers around the body. It also causes heart disease and strokes. And in fact, most people don't die of lung cancer or chest disease when they smoke because they don't live long enough, because it causes you to die of a heart attack or a stroke first. It's a really bad thing to do, but it is your choice. 
And we're not going to tell people what they can and can't do. If people's choice is, armed with the facts, I'm going to smoke, they should be allowed to smoke as long as it doesn't affect other people, but they need to live with that consequence, which is if they smoke, they need to bear in mind that they are robbing their loved ones of years spent together, they're robbing themselves of years that will be healthy, they're also going to make them their plastic surgeon very happy because smoking is the fastest way to age your skin. And if you take pictures of people who smoke and people who don't smoke and you look at the, the faces... You can tell the people with a smoker's face easily because their skin is much more wrinkled and they have accelerated ageing compared to people who don't smoke, probably because of local exposure to various things in the smoke on a chronic basis. Right. So up to people if they want to smoke, but please bear in mind they've got to live with the consequences. And yes, this, this new virus, it, it is a respiratory infection and people with a bad chest, which could be caused by smoking, there are other reasons why people get a bad chest, but smoking is the most common one, that could compromise your, your um, chances of surviving this virus as well. Uh, let's go to our next caller, Greg in Bloberg. Greg, good morning. Uh, your question? Morning. Okay, so we're sitting in a lounge, the song comes on, I go, wow, this is such a lecker song. And you go, no, it's a terrible song. Why do we have different tastes in music? Why do certain music affect people differently? Same reason probably, Greg, that um, you know I like certain foods and my wife can't stand them. I like nothing more than to go out for a really hot curry. She likes a bit of curry, my wife, but not the way I like it. And so everyone is different. My children like some vegetables, but not others. But they don't dislike the same vegetables, the two of them. So it's very much down to personal preference and taste. We're, we're all individuals. We all have different preferences and tastes. And that applies to the things we interact with, the people we talk to, the things we find stimulating. And it's all down to our brains and how they're wired. And this is a process that is a random process. So when your brain develops, there's an enormous amount of randomness in terms of, of how it forms different connections between different parts of the brain and your life experience then bends or adapts or moulds those connections. So everyone is an individual and everyone's going to develop their own spectrum of individual interests, tastes and skills. And that's really good, which is why humans are so successful because we don't work in a sort of clone. We work as individuals with complementary skill sets. Thank you so much. Uh, it's the Naked Scientist, uh, Dr. Chris Smith, uh, Chris Smith with us. Uh, let's uh, cross to Bahrain. Uh, Lee is there. Hi, Lee. Welcome. Your question for, uh, for Chris, please. Hi there. Good morning. I have searched the internet flat to try and figure out or determine how is the nuclear decay rate determined. With some of these um, isotopes, have decay rates of millions of years. And how is that determined? Hello, Lee. The thing you're referring to, which, just in case anyone's not on the same page here, is that some chemicals break apart radioactively. And when they break apart radioactively, they give out some energy and they produce so-called daughter radionuclides, which are smaller particles produced as a consequence of the bigger particle falling apart. And what has fallen apart is at the core of the atom, the nucleus. And in a nucleus are positive charges called protons and negative charges called neutrons. The neutrons are there to help stick everything together and stabilise the nucleus. And as you have bigger and bigger atoms, because as we get different elements and you go so-called up the periodic table, atoms get bigger because their nucleus gets bigger. And that means there are more protons and more neutrons to stick together in the nucleus. Now, some configurations of protons and neutrons are more stable than others. And when you have a radioactive element, extra neutrons have been added or have appeared in the nucleus for various reasons. 
and this can result in a nucleus that is less stable. And if you have a less stable configuration, you can think of it as a bit like something that wobbles. It's a bit like a table that rocks in the bar. Instead of standing on its four legs rock solid, not going anywhere, you put your glass down on one side and the table rocks. The nucleus is a bit unstable. And this shifts the likelihood that the nucleus might fall apart. And when it falls apart, that's a radioactive decay. So some configurations of nuclei with certain numbers of protons and neutrons are more stable than others. And this determines how long something takes to break apart. Things which have a really, really unstable nucleus will very quickly fall apart. So the probability at any given moment that that nucleus will fall apart and disintegrate is high. Others are more stable and long-lived, so the probability at any one moment that the nucleus falls apart is uh, lower, and as a result, the so-called radioactive half-life of those chemicals differs. And it's different for different elements with different nuclear configurations, and it's all to do with the stability of the nucleus and the number of protons and neutrons and how stable that particular configuration is. Okay, let's uh, move on to our next question. Good morning, Jonathan, and thank you for your patience. Morning, morning. Uh, it's a pleasure. Uh, Chris, I'd actually like to know how, how the, the uh, COVID, COVID-19 actually arrived at its name because COVID indicates that it's a secret 19. Is it a military um, biological warfare or virological warfare that they, uh, that's an experiment that is used for population control or what, what, is, what actually caused the whole thing to set off? This is not a conspiracy or anything like that. This is a perfectly natural virus that came from nature and the 19 merely refers to the year in which it was first discovered 2019 and this virus has had a couple of names along the way when it was first discovered people were calling it this new bizarre coronavirus then they called it uh, 2019 ncov for new coronavirus and then everyone said well this is all very confusing we you know we don't know what this thing is and people are confused about the name so then the world health organization and and another organization got involved and then ended up creating more names that confused people further but basically they they said well because it's so closely related to SARS now this is not the South African Revenue Service although that's equally fearsome this is the severe acute respiratory syndrome that occurred in 2002 to 3 this new virus is very similar to that but it's it's definitely a different agent. So they called this SARS-CoV-2. SARS, as in severe acute respiratory syndrome, COV, as in coronavirus, and 2, because it's the second iteration of it. That's the virus name. And then they said, and the disease it causes, so when you get infected with SARS-CoV-2, the disease you get, the spectrum of symptoms, is COVID-19. Again, covid coronavirus and and it's from 2019 and that's where the 19 comes from so not a conspiracy theory not an experiment in population control they're very bad ideas to run those sorts of experiments because they come home to roost and they they actually have a very high likelihood of devastating and decimating the populations of any country or group that that were to release those sorts of weapons so that's why that that this just doesn't happen we we know where this virus came from it's a bat virus which jumped the species barrier, acquired a bit of another animal's coronavirus, and that gave it the ability to jump into humans, and it's then begun to spread. Um, would you say, is, is COVID-19, is it a zoonotic virus? Yes, it is. It's um, directly from bats. About 96.5% of its DNA is identical. Not, well, not DNA. I'll rephrase that. 96.5% of its genetic information is identical to a bat coronavirus and there's a small bit of a virus that comes from a 
pangolin in there as well. So we think that the bat virus recombined with a pangolin virus, which endowed it with the ability to infect humans with the efficiency that it does. So it's definitely a zoonosis from at least one, if not most probably two, animal sources. Cape Talk, WhatsApp 072 567 Hello, Cape Talk. A uh, question for the Naked Scientist today. It's Renee from Pinelands. What is the latest theory on the extent of the immunity one gets after one has had a wild coronavirus infection? Thanks. Hello, Renee. The answer is we don't know for sure at the moment, but we know that people form initially a defensive response because they're able to clear the virus after they catch it so we know that they get responses that last at least enough time to get rid of the virus in the body and people have done experiments so far on monkeys where they've infected them with this coronavirus the monkeys clear the infection takes them about three weeks before they're not testing positive anymore and they then wait a month and re-challenge them with the virus again and they don't catch it so we know the immunity lasts for at least a month but because we haven't had very much uh, time yet to experiment on this, we don't know what the long-term immunity profile is. And that's a very important question, because if we're going to make a vaccine against this thing, we need to know that if the vaccine produces an immune response, it's going to be long enough lived to be effective. So watch this space. We're finding out more all the time. Awesome. Let's go to Linda in Rondebosch. Linda, good morning. Hi there, Dr. Chris. I'm wanting to know if hair is a carrier of COVID-19. Hi, Linda. Well, any surface can be a, a carrier of this virus, but it won't last very long, and it certainly lasts less long on some surfaces than others. When it's in the air, the virus bobs around for about three hours in some kind of intact, infectious state. On some surfaces, it can last for up to three days, Plastics and stainless steel surfaces seem to leave the virus intact for, for as long as possible, maybe 72 hours or so. Certain surfaces, though, like copper, seem to deactivate it very rapidly. And this is probably because metals like copper and silver have a natural antimicrobial effect because they're quite reactive and they poison things like bacteria and viruses when they land on them. Other things like material, clothing, chairs, furniture, your hair... The environment in which those are found is going to determine how long the virus persists. So if it's very hot, very sunny, very dry air, and you're out with the air blowing through your hair, the likelihood is you're going to carry that infection for very very low levels of time. On the other hand, if you're in an indoors, not moving around very much, the air is fairly humid and cool, then the viruses probably persist on those surfaces for a bit longer. But definitely, definitely not longer than hours to days. Okay, uh, let's go to another caller, Brioni in uh, Lansdowne. Hi, Brioni. Hi, good morning. Good morning. Um, good morning, Dr. Chris. I just wanted to know about research that my brother told me about yesterday. He was a geneticist, and he said that there's a chloro, chlor, chloroquinine that was discovered in France now, the malaria medication that is effective, 600 milligrams over six days, which is now curing the... the is that true? And then he says that President Trump is now making it freely available. It's, it's a cheap medication. Chloroquine, as well as its chemical relative hydroxychloroquine, are being tested as possible therapeutics against the new coronavirus. Chloroquine is a legacy of the malaria days, and it's an anti-malarial, but it just so happens that a side effect of that drug is to suppress the replication or growth of this virus. Now, it's not a sudden cure. It's not that you pop some pills and you immediately get better. 
this just tips the balance and, and, and thwarts the growth of the virus a bit, helping the body's immune system to gain the upper hand. But scientists are actively exploring this because at the moment when we have nothing, something that shows a small benefit does look like a, a big advantage or a potential help. A couple of uh, messages coming in via WhatsApp. Is a person who has recovered from COVID-19 immune, would they be able to volunteer to help others who are sick? It comes from Ruth. Yes, and this is a question that uh, is very much concerning healthcare professionals because once a person has recovered, then they're not going to catch this virus again, at least in the short term. And the previous answer we gave about monkeys being infected and showing that they do retain their antibodies that fight off the virus for at least a month after they've been infected. Now, a month's a very short time, but the experiment hasn't extended beyond that yet. So I anticipate. And if other coronaviruses or anything to go by, there's a good chance you will make long-lasting immunity to this. But there is a there is a small chance, and some some scientists have said that there is a risk that the the immunity might only be short-lived. But it'll certainly be long enough lived that healthcare workers who are exposed to people in the front line and continuously being exposed would keep their immune response topped up. So once they've had it and cleared the infection, they're not going to get it again while they continue to be in that situation. Okay, uh, we're inundated with calls and messages for you, Chris, this week, um, but you will be back next week. But before we let you go, one final question. It comes from Henry in Tableview. Um, is Dettol effective against the COVID-19 virus as it is against bacteria? Hello, Henry. The answer is that this virus is what we call an enveloped virus, which means around the outside of the virus is a membrane, which is very similar to the membranes of your cells and also some bacteria. As such, it is susceptible to being destroyed by anything with a high concentration of alcohol. That doesn't mean going and chugging down uh, gin and tonic because that hasn't got enough alcohol. You need about 70% alcohol to do it. Anything with chlorine in it, so bleach is a very good way to deactivate this. And detergent solution will also deactivate this. Dettol and those sorts of surface sterilizers fit many of these criteria and will definitely deactivate this thing. But obviously be careful with skin. Be careful where you use this, but for surface cleansing, it'll be absolutely fine. Uh, we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you so much, uh, Chris. We'll chat to you again next week. All right. Thanks, everybody, and right. stay well.